0: This is chapter three of Tom Sawyer Detective. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tom Sawyer Detective by Mark Twain. Chapter three. A Diamond Robbery. From that time out, we was with him most all the time, and one or t'other of us slept in his upper berth. He said he had been so lonesome, and it was such a comfort to him to have company and somebody to talk to in his troubles we was in a sweat to find out what his secret was but tom said the best way was not to seem anxious then likely he would drop into it himself in one of his talks but if we go to asking questions he would get suspicious and shut up his shell it turned out just so it weren't no trouble to see that he wanted to talk about it but all was along at first he would scare away from it when he got on the very edge of it and go to talking about something else the way it come about was this he got to asking us kind of indifferent like about the passengers down on deck we told him about them but he weren't satisfied we weren't particular enough he told us to describe them better tom done it at last when tom was describing one of the roughest and raggedest ones he gave a shiver and a gasp and says oh lordy that's one of them they're aboard sure i just knowed it i sort of hoped i'd got away but i never believed it go on presently when tom was describing another mangy rough deck passenger he give that shiver again and says that's him that's the other one if it will only come a good black stormy night and i could get ashore you see they've got spies on me they've got a right to come up and buy drinks at the bar yonder for'ard and they take that chance to bribe somebody to keep watch on me porter or boots or somebody if i was to slip ashore without anybody seeing me they would know it inside of an hour so then he got to wandering along and pretty soon sure enough he was telling he was poking along through his ups and downs and when he come to that place he went right along he says it was a confidence game we played it on a jewelry shop in st louis what we was after was a couple of noble big diamonds as big as hazelnuts which everybody was running to see we was dressed up fine, and we played it on them in broad daylight. We ordered the diamonds sent to the hotel for us to see if we wanted to buy, and when we was examining them we had paste counterfeits already, and them was the things that went back to the shop when we said the water wasn't quite fine enough for twelve thousand dollars. Twelve thousand dollars, Tom says. Was they really worth all that money, do you reckon? Every cent of it. And you fellows got away with them? as easy as nothing i don't reckon the jewelry people know they've been robbed yet but it wouldn't be good sense to stay round st louis of course so we considered where we'd go one was for going one way one another so we throwed up heads or tails and the upper mississippi won we done up the diamonds in a paper and put our names on it and put it in the keep of the hotel clerk and told him not to ever let either of us have it again without the others was on hand to see it done Then we went downtown, each by his own self, because I reckon maybe we all had the same notion. I don't know for certain, but I reckon maybe we had." "'What notion?' Tom says. "'To rob the others.' "'What? One take everything, after all of you had helped to get it?' "'Certainly.' It disgusted Tom Sawyer, and he said it was the orneriest, low-downest thing he ever heard of. But Jake Dunlap said it weren't unusual in the profession said when a person was in that line of business he'd got to look out for his own interest there warn't nobody else going to do it for him and then he went on and he says you see the trouble was you couldn't divide up two diamonds amongst three if there'd been three but never mind about that there warn't three i loafed along the back street studying and studying and i says to myself i'll hog them diamonds the first chance i get and i'll have a disguise all ready and i'll give the boys the slip and when i'm safe away i'll put it on and then let them find me if they can so i got the false whiskers and the goggles and this countrified suit of clothes and fetched them along back in a handbag and when i was passing a shop where they sell all sorts of things i got a glimpse of one of my pals through the window it was bud dixon i was glad you bet i says to myself I'll see what he buys. So I kept shady and watched. Now, what do you reckon it was he bought? Whiskers, said I. No. Goggles? No. Oh, keep still, Huck Finn, can't you? You're only just hindering all you can. What was it he bought, Jake? You'd never guess it in the world. It was only just a screwdriver, just a wee little bit of a screwdriver. Well, I declare. What do you want with that? That's what I thought. It was curious it clean stumped me i says to myself what can he want with that thing well when he come out i stood back out of sight and then tracked him to a second-hand slop-shop and see him buy a red flannel shirt and some old ragged clothes just the ones he's got on now as you've described then i went down to the wharf and hid my things aboard the up-river boat that we had picked out and then started back and had another streak of luck i seen our other pal lay in his stock of old rusty second-handers we got the diamonds and went aboard the boat but now we was up a stump for we couldn't go to bed we had to set up and watch one another pity that was pity to put that kind of a strain on us because there was bad blood between us from a couple of weeks back and we was only friends in the way of business bad anyway seeing there was only two diamonds twixt three men first we had supper and then tramped up and down the deck together smoking till most midnight then we went and sat down in my stateroom and locked the doors and looked in the piece of paper to see if the diamonds was all right then laid it on the lower berth right in full sight and there we set and set and by and by it got to be dreadful hard to keep awake at last bud dixon he dropped off as soon as he was snoring a good regular gait that was likely to last and had his chin on his breast and looked permanent Hal Clayton nodded towards the diamonds and then towards the outside door, and I understood. I reached and got the paper, and then we stood up and waited perfectly still, but never stirred. I turned the key of the outside door very soft and slow, then turned the knob the same way, and we went tiptoeing out onto the guard, and shut the door very soft and gentle. There weren't nobody stirring anywhere, and the boat was slipping along, swift and steady, through the big water and the smoky moonlight. We never said a word, but went straight up onto the hurricane deck and plumped back aft and set down on the end of the skylight. Both of us knowed what that meant, without having to explain to one another. Bud Dixon would wake up and miss the swag, and would come straight for us, for he ain't afeard of anything or anybody that man ain't. He would come, and we would heave him overboard. And or get killed trying it made me shiver because i ain't as brave as some people but if i showed the white feather well i knowed better than do that i kind of hoped the boat would land somers and we could skip ashore and not have to run the risk of this row i was so scared of bud dixon but she was an upper river tub and there warn't no real chance of that well the time strung along and along and that fellow never come why it strung along till dawn begun to break and still he never come thunder i says what do you make out of this ain't it suspicious land hal says do you reckon he's playing us open the paper i done it and by gracious there weren't anything in it but a couple of little pieces of loaf sugar that's the reason he could set there and snooze all night so comfortable smart well i reckon he had had them two papers all fixed and ready and he had put one of them in place of t'other right under our noses we felt pretty cheap but the thing to do straight off was to make a plan, and we done it. We would do up the paper again, just as it was, and slip in, very elaborate and soft, and lay it on the bunk again, and let on we didn't know about any trick, and hadn't any idea he was a laughing at us behind them bogus snores of his'n, and we would stick by him, and the first night we was ashore we would get him drunk and search him, and get the diamonds, and do for him, too, if it weren't too risky, If we got the swag, we'd got to do for him, or he would hunt us down and do for us, sure. But I didn't have no real hope. I knowed we could get him drunk. He was always ready for that. But what's the good of it? You might search him a year and never find. Well, right there I catched my breath and broke off my thought, for an idea went ripping through my head that tore my brains to rags and land, but I felt gay and good. You see, I had had my boots off to unswell my feet— and just then i took up one of them to put it on and i catched a glimpse of the heel bottom and it just took my breath away you remember about that puzzlesome little screwdriver you bet i do says tom all excited well when i catched that glimpse of that boot heel the idea that went smashing through my head was i know where he'd hid the diamonds you look at this boot heel now see its bottom with a steel plate and the plate is fastened on with little screws Now, there wasn't a screw about that feller anywhere but in his boot heels, so if he needed a screwdriver, I reckoned I knowed why. Huck, ain't it bully? Says Tom. Well, I got my boots on, and we went down and slipped in and laid the paper of sugar on the berth, and sat down soft and sheepish and went to listening to Bud Dixon snore. Hal Clayton dropped off pretty soon, but I didn't. I wasn't ever so wide awake in my life. I was spying out from under the shade of my hat-brim, searching the floor for leather. It took me a long time, and I begun to think maybe my guess was wrong, but at last I struck it. It laid over by the bulkhead, and was nearly the color of the carpet. It was a little round plug about as thick as the end of your little finger, and I says to myself, there's a diamond in the nest you've come from. Before long I spied out the plug's mate. Think of the smartness and coolness of that blatherskite he put up that scheme on us and reasoned out what we would do and we went ahead and done it perfectly exact like a couple of puddin heads he set there and took his own time to unscrew his heel plates and cut out his plugs and stick in the diamonds and screw on his plates again he allowed we would steal the bogus swag and wait all night for him to come up and get drowned and by george it's just what we done i think it was powerful smart You bet your life it was, says Tom, just full of admiration. End of chapter 3